This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Meet a lot more Gentiles who. Oh, shalom, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to Practical Spirituality here in the holy city of Jerusalem, overlooking the Temple Mount. Yeah, you meet a lot more uh, Gentiles who recognize who we are than Jews willing to recognize who we are. So that's the way it is. Um, today we're talking about the secrets of God's name, so we got to get straight to the board. Uh, do we have a black pen around? It doesn't look like it. Just going to make some lines with a black pen, but yeah, to Also, I'm going to flip this camera around uh, just so it looks straight. Otherwise, it's going to come out backwards on the. Thing. Okay. We're good. Hope I put my phone on Do Not Disturb. If not, it will get interrupted once in a while. So with lack of a black pen, no black pen, so that's cool. So what I'm going to create is the top of the line, and then this is the baseline. And with every letter, you have letters that are, you know, are telling you stuff about the top, it's telling you stuff about the bottom. What does the top represent? The top represents, I'll put it over here, top represents the spiritual, and the bottom represents the physical. And so what happens with all Hebrew letters is they're telling a story, they're pictorials. And the pictorials have to do with, with heaven and earth. They have to do with spiritual realms and they have to do with physical realms. Now, the spiritual realms are going to be up in the upper regions, and they're going to have to do with the metaphysical, uh, metaphysical uh, divine, the world of the divine, which we distinguish from the world of God. God is, meaning, so to speak, the world of God. Meaning, God is beyond the divine, and then there's the divine, which is called metaphysical, and then there's physical, our world. Is that clear? Three levels? God, then there's the metaphysical world of the divine. That's what, like... You know, like freaked out uh, black magic people who like know how to do all kinds of weird stuff. They're hanging out in the divine, the metaphysical, beyond physical. But it's not God. God is infinitely beyond that. And then there's the actual physical weave of creation. We live inside the physical weave of creation. And that's down here. So, for example, just to give you an example of a letter that tells a lot is the letter tzaddik. We'll just use that tzaddik for an example. Is, uh, you'll see that the tzaddik is made of a nun, and it's got a yud over here. And so, but it also means the holy man. A holy man is called a tzaddik. So if I make this tzaddik into a figure doing yoga here, so you'll see that that the tzaddik's hands are in heaven. I mean, everything, everything going on down here, but look how, look how firmly stabilized he is. he is. He's across the physical, across the baseline. Whereas the holy man in other traditions is generally someone who's called a monk, who's taken monastic vows. He's taken vows to like not eat, not drink, to be sexually celibate. There, there would be, in what Judaism would call a monk, would be a yud. A monk is a yud, so a yud looks like that, and that's a yud, and that would be a monk, that's a holy man for the Gentiles. 
a holy man for the Jews is like totally in this world. You realize that if there was a holy man in the Jewish world who wasn't married with children, they, he would be not taken seriously at all. At all. He, he, is, he is not a player. You get that? Like, he's not even a player. People may respect his judgments in Torah and law. People may, you know, study with him, and he may teach people, and people may even fill his classroom. But he is not a player until he's in this world. And when you're in this world, well, well you got to start to scramble because in this world means married, and in this world means, well, once you're married, and, you know, we're not exactly big into birth control around here. So married brings kids, and now you got kids. And now the, the holy man's got to go figure out how he's going to pay for all that, which means he's going to be interacting all over the place with stuff that, you, that we usually save holy men from. Understand? We usually save holy men from those kinds of interactions. But the holy man has to interact. He has to be totally in the world. Is that clear? So, so this is already teaching us so much. You get how the, do you see how letters are pictorials and they're teaching you wisdom? Are you guys getting this? There's wisdom in these letters and they're, they're there to teach you things. You'll notice also that the the nun, for example, you know, the, the tzaddik ha, has this nun. And a nun can also have his legs below the physical, which is called a langer nun, a long nun, or a nun sofit. It would look like this. By the way, every letter begins with a yud, because yud is, represents the supernal point of all reality. That's the yud. So everything comes from there, right? Everything comes from that supernal point. Just like anything you do, like uh, what do you do for a living? Uh, working toward. So anything you do starts with a point of reference of like, what am I doing today? And and but there's a point of like activity you're going to be doing, and it's all everything's kind of folded into that point, and then what happens is you have to unfold that point throughout your day, and that point, so everything begins with a point, everything begins with with the yud. And that's why when a sofer is writing a Torah or a mezuzah or tefillin, he begins every letter with a yud. It always starts with a yud. So the nun is a yud that, like a vav, what's a vav? A vav is a yud implemented. It's taking your ideas and then implementing them. But a nun, it keeps going. It ain't good. Nuns are bad news. Because nuns go into where? What would you call the? What's lower than our physical weave here? What's lower than the physical? What could be lower? Can my Kabbalistic friends say it? It, it, it begins with a samech, and then an aleph. What do you call that, Shia? Sitra. Sitra achra, right? Sitra achra. It means the dark side. The dark side. That's right. You go, meaning our weave of physicality is, at least it's neutral. You know, this water's neutral. But according to Torah, if I dropped a little bit of pig juice into this water, it's now gone to the dark side. And apparently, according to Joyum, apparently, according to, it's funny, I was going to say Gentiles because it's essentials. Essentials, we generally don't say Goyim, but I call them Joyum. Joy. Maybe joy is a good word for going. 
No, it's so, so much easier for Gentiles to be happy, you know. They're not dealing with all this over-analytical stuff, you know. They're enjoying <laughs> Apparently they would enjoy maybe a little pig juice in this water. <coughs> but <laughs> went down the wrong pipe. Anyway, but for us, the uh, it would go, that's now in the dark side. Because the Torah lists 365 categories of dark side. They're categories with tremendous detail in each category. But the negative commandments, there's 365 categories of dark side. And all the details in that dark, all the details of halakha are the, are the details in the categories of the dark side. And you should, by the way, you should be so happy that we have negative commandments. I know it sounds un-American to have like things you're not allowed to do. I know it's like don't cramp my style with thou shalt nots. But, but really, um, you should love it. We spoke about this last week a bit, but you, you should love thou shalt nots. Because if you have a nice, solid list of what not to do, well, now you're all set because you're clean. Like, you know what not to do. And you like that kind of stuff. If you're dealing with sensitive technology, there's stuff not to do that could really mess up your computer or the project you're doing. Right? You want that stuff. And everything you're doing with driving cars at high speeds, there's what not to do and there's what to do. And these are, you know, don't change lanes without looking at your side of your mirror and check over your shoulder even at your blind spot. Like, we like don't do's. Anyway, the, the noon goes into the dark side, but in the Sadiq's case, he's lifted his legs. Do you see what the Sadiq's done? The Sadiq, that's a noon. So the tzaddik, like, takes up his legs and makes sure he doesn't, he keeps his toes out of the dark side. Yeah, he's always got his legs up from the dark side. And he, and he also, he's firmly planted in this world, but he always realizes that everything go, down to here is coming from up there. Meaning that he's in real time with God. You're not in real time. Like, you, if something goes wrong with you, it would take you about a year to realize why it was part of the plan. You know, it might take you uh, five days. It might take you half a year. I don't know. People have, people have their, their, their lag between stuff going the way you didn't want it to go and your recognition that it's part of a plan. But the Saudi is in real time. You understand? He's in real time because his hands are there always. His eyes are always above. Yet he's firmly in the, implanted in the physical. And so when things aren't going well, the tzaddik always recognizes that that's part of a plan. In real time, there's no lag. It doesn't take, he doesn't have to see the story play out to start to breathe. Whereas the rest of us are like, till we get things resolved, we're not able to chill. The tzaddik's always chill. And as some of you probably aren't thinking about this just because you're sitting in this classroom not thinking about much. But, uh, but there is a major issue today in the modern world with anxiety. And anxiety has many uh, things that cause it. And one of the big ones is unresolved uh, life situations. Unresolved life situations are a major cause of anxiety. And so this, what I put on the board here is, is a tool to be implemented that, that we, we want to get, we want to start shortening the gap between 
situations and resolution in our hearts. Now, a situation doesn't have to be resolved for us to know it will be resolved. It's going to have a resolution. It may not even be a favorable resolution, but it's God's will. And so I can, I can close that gap in my own heart and release the anxiety to the point where I'm in real time and without anxiety, no matter what the situation. You get the goal? That's a goal for all of us, because we don't want to be part of a generation of, of people who are suffering from anxiety. Clear? Cool. Well, this class is not called Understanding at Sadiq. This class is called... I don't even remember what I called it. Anyone know what I called this class? The Secrets of the Name of God. Yeah, The Secrets of the Name of God. So let's go into that. That was just to get you warmed up. So what we're going to do is we're going to put the name of God up here. There's the Yud. Remember, everything starts with a Yud. I'm going to put a little character here so that we can erase it, because you're not allowed to erase the name of God. So I'm going to, I'm going to fill a space and then add another letter after. There. So we can erase it. Otherwise, you're not allowed to erase it. Or bring it into a bathroom or be naked in front of it. It's, it's a whole deal. Okay. which we already discussed. And then we got the final hay. All right. So there we have the name of God, and we're going to go letter by letter. And what I'm going to ask from all of you is to make blessings today and to... Um, at least once or twice throughout the day, the rest of this day, is to do, um, is to meditate on the name of God while you say it. To meditate on it. That's all. And I'm going to give you the meditation right now. I've already done, I don't even know how much, an hour and a half of it today. I spent my, an hour and a half of my morning meditating on this name. So... <laughs> You could just do it for a blessing. That'd be enough at the beginning. But it's a lot of fun, and it's, it's great. The more you meditate on it, the more your day is amazing. Because, I mean, I already had the best part of my day before I even left my bedroom. You understand? So, so it's like, it's all, it's all a nice slide after that. It's, you know. <coughs> okay. So the yud, as we spoke about, the yud is, the, is a point. It does not touch physicality at all. It is just that, that flash, that, that um, all-inclusive point. A good example of this, actually, is the Big Bang. You know, you've heard of the Big Bang, uh, where 15 billion, you know, this is, again, it's a scientific theory, but that 15 billion years ago, all of matter before the expanding universe, well, it had, it, all of matter was collapsed into this tiny point, which the Ramban says was the size of a mustard seed. That's a very tiny seed. It was all, the whole plant, the whole universe was collapsed into one tiny, extremely dense point of matter. Well, that's kind of cool thought. That's a cool thought when it comes to the Yud, because that's what we're describing. Meaning that's exactly what the Yud is. 
and think about it. If you could somehow like, if you could somehow like click on it, like a like an icon on a computer. If you could click on that point, it would open up the universe, and then the website it would take you to would have like pine trees and, and sharks and orcas and, and uh, rivers and volcanoes and Yosemite Valley. Joshua Tree National Monument, and the Swiss Alps, and uh, all the people in your whole life, and I can imagine it all in that point. But in that point, everything is totally wrapped into pure potential, because there is no world; it is just pure potential, and that is the yud. That is the Yudin. It's amazing how, how the physicists, the number one theory to this day, even though it's a pretty old theory, I was raised I was raised being taught the Big Bang Theory as a child. And here we are, you know, decades later, and it's still considered the number one theory out there as far as science is concerned. And, and yet the first letter of God's name is all about that. But... The little difference is that at least the physical physicists say it's a point. There was an actual point, meaning you can touch it. Whereas, can you touch a yud? Remember the. Can you touch a yud? It's, this is an untouchable reality. This is a, a total. It, this is purely, and the reason I'm touching my forehead here, is because it's it's this point, of your idea that you. Whatever you want, dear, you you feel like dairy. <laughs> you know, like you feel like dairy. You just need some dairy. Probably you need calcium, and society brainwashed you that that's dairy. I mean, your body needs calcium. Your brain's saying dairy. Really, what you should be doing is sticking a spoon into whole grain trina, which has the most assimilable calcium, and pop some of that on your tongue, which will take you about half a minute to just to like deal with. Because it's so thick, and the uh, but it'd be a lot better in dairy because dairy is probably one of the worst forms of calcium. It's got a lot of calcium, but it, but we lack a certain enzyme to break it down properly. We don't assimilate it so well. So the uh, so if you're feeling like dairy, you're probably just brainwashed. And what you really need is some calcium. And there's a lot of great forms of calcium that are better to be assimilated, like, for example, sesame, or tina, ground sesame. But that thought of, like, I feel like dairy is, nothing's happening. I haven't gotten up. I'm not going to the kitchen. I'm not on my way to the ice cream store. I haven't gone to order pizza. Nothing happened. It's totally still inside the mind. Now, to the meditations on God, is this is all of creation completely enfolded and enfolded and enfolded into the mind of God. And the word in Hebrew for such a thing is the word chachma. So if I'm practice that word, chachma, chachma, all together, one, two, three, chachma. Okay, everyone said it? Chachma. We, we sing it in our Bar Yochai song, Yud Chachma Kaduma. Okay, it's, we say in the famous song about Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the author of the Zohar, who's buried at Miron. When you're in Spot, you're overlooking his tomb. That's the bright lights in the mountain, in the middle of the mountain. If you ever had Shabbat in Spot. Anyway, um, 
It's called Yud Chochma Kaduma Yud. That's the letter. Chochma is this totally enfolded, condensed thick point. And, and uh, Kaduma means preceding, primary. It's a primary reality here. Before there's been a secondary anything, it's a purely primary, it's a purely primary reality, the Yud. In but not, as I said earlier, none of us get anywhere without it. I mean, you can't start your day in tourism, touring. With, you know, you, you lead tours? Yeah. Or you have a company? Oh, I, I plan and I make Nothing's going to happen without that. You know, you don't, you don't get to that stage of, you know, which might have been years ago, by the way, that you one day just woke up and said, I got to make a living. I love taking people around. You know, I like, I get to see the land of Israel fresh every time I take a group somewhere. And uh, you may probably love the land of Israel. Actually, I'm new here and I'm doing Costa Rica. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Really? It's amazing. No, because my next, I, I have a, I, have, I run an international seminar and we have executives and I take them international trips. We all go together to beautiful places. So our next trip's Costa Rica. Awesome. Yeah, maybe you'll, you'll give me. Some. I actually never been to Costa Rica. It's one of my bucket list places. You will love it. Amazing. Okay, and um, I'm also a surfer. So, in three weeks, I get to make the date for the Costa Rica trip. So, just wait. Yeah, I'll tell you some stuff after the class in a lot of different places. Excellent. When I went to exotic countries to surf, how much of the place do you think I saw? <laughs> like, like nothing. You know, like I, I go to France to surf for two weeks, I get on the airplane home and people are like, the guy sitting next to me is like, what do you think of the Eiffel Tower? And I'm like, dope. I knew I forgot something. <laughs> now, the, the, the Yud is... Um, Nothing happens without it. You gotta have it. Now we're moving on to the hay. The hay of God's name. Now, hay, I can't explain to you exactly why right now, but hay represents dimension. Hay is dimensional. I bet Moshe Langer could probably share something. I don't know what would come to, but let me know if it does. How Yud suddenly because there's no dimension in the point of Yud. Chachma has no dimension whatsoever. But the hay is the dimension of thought. Now, you guys probably wouldn't think of thought as dimensional, but it is dimensional. Let me give you an example. I feel like dairy. That's the yud. What's the hay? Well, maybe I should have yogurt. Maybe I should have milk. Maybe I should have a cappuccino. Maybe I should have pizza. Maybe I should have ice cream. Maybe I should have a teaspoon of sesame. The, that's, do you realize that's dimensional? That's thought in its, all its dimension. Or, I want to build a home. Well, what kind of home you want to build? What style of home you want to build? How many stories you want to build? How much budget you got? You know, what, what kind of, what kind, you know, you're going to be using real stone or you're going to be using something that looks like stone? Is that called parquet or something? What are you going to be using? Well, is there a home yet? Has there been any implementation yet? Nothing. This is all still in the mind. 
Now, you're probably, what's your name? Justin. Justin, you mind I'm using you for all this? You're probably much more in the hay than the yud. The yud might have been, you spent more time in the yud when you decided what you want to do for a living. But the hay is probably where you're spending a lot of your time, and you're making plans for people. That's all in the hay land. How much time they have, how much money they have, you know, what parts of the country can we hit. That's all hay stuff. Nothing's happened. They haven't arrived yet. They're coming in for a month. So you're in the hay zone. Well, let's look into... Let's go Big Bang for a second. So you got Yud is just everything encapsulated in the point. But remember I said when you click on the point and it opens up the website and there's the pine trees and the, and the shark and the orca and the, and the Swiss Alps and Yosemite Valley and all the people and all the things. That's all in the hay. Everything that's ever happened in creation is in the hay. It's also in the yud, but the hay is where it all gets fleshed out. And so when God creates the world, he's fleshing out the world before he makes it, and it all gets fleshed out. And that in Hebrew is called Bina. Everyone say the word Bina. Bina. Together, one, two, three. Bina. What was the first one? Chachma. And now we got Bina. Chachma is called Av, father. Why? Because just like a father, like the man, sends out a seminal drop. He sends out a seminal drop into the mother, who's the Bina, which is called Aim, mother. And she takes that drop, and from it forms an entire life. From it. Now, within that drop somehow is life, but it's just totally in that point of Chachma. And this is why a man, when, when intimate with his wife, has to have his mind in the, in the clearest of places, because... Because when he sends out his chachma into Bina, welcome, when he sends chachma into Bina, please sit. Um, oh, we need a table for two. Moishi, mind joining, joining this guy here? Or join this lady here? Or join Moishi, Moishi and Moishi. Yeah, I know, I realize. Wait, no, I got your table together. Okay, whatever. I don't like to break up husbands and wives. No. I'm busy keeping them together usually. It's a rabbi's job, you know. Keeping couples together. Not simple. Especially when she's crazy. Or when he's irresponsible. And when you got crazy and irresponsible together in the same home? Whoa. <laughs> I'm in the middle of a crazy husband or a crazy woman irresponsible husband situation. I still have not one divorce 27 years counseling couples not one divorce and so I don't know what to say about this one because I just so badly want to say to this guy to run for his life but how he'd never be able to look himself in the mirror if he doesn't get responsible because maybe she's crazy because he's not being responsible and it's making her unstable can you imagine being married to a guy who's, who's irresponsible? How crazy would you be? <laughs> You'd go crazy real quick. So, so the, uh, you understand? It's not so simple when the woman's crazy if the guy's irresponsible. Because 
that's, those are, that's not going to work so well. And you can't really officially stamp her crazy until he gets responsible. I'm just trying to push the time as much as possible that maybe he'll get responsible before it all blows up. Uh, right now, his suitcase is by the door, which I really don't want his kids seeing, but they already saw it. And his phone is smashed to smithereens, but it still works. She threw his phone. It's really fun being a rabbi, by the way. And if anyone would like to sign up for the rabbinic course here, don't all, don't all run at once to, to join. So anyway, if that didn't scare you away. You should know when us rabbis make blessings under chuppahs, you know, wedding canopies. We're like holding our breath the whole time. We're like, oh boy, here we go. You know, it's like, are we sure we want to go through with this one? You know, and then, uh, and I always tell couples that, that, you know, mazel tov on getting married, but rabbis do not celebrate marriages. We celebrate anniversaries. Because anyone with a pulse can get married. Question is, can you have 30 or 40 anniversaries? Can you, can you keep, can you keep things buttoned up for the long haul of your married life? That impresses rabbis. Getting married is not impressive at all. Okay, that's, that's just Darwinian, you know, that's anatomy. But staying married, that takes a man and that takes a woman. And that, that takes serious people. And so rabbis celebrate anniversary. We don't celebrate weddings so much. Now, the, um, anyway, but the Yud, when you click on the Yud, you get to the Hay. The Hay is Bina. The Yud is the seminal thought, and Bina is the fleshing out of that thought. You realize it's thought and dimension. Because if you want to build a house, well, you know, you're going to have to figure out a lot of details out before a tractor comes and clears the land. Tractors aren't clearing the land until, until there's a lot of things thought out, and eventually it becomes a blueprint, which is called das, by the way. The term das is the blueprint. So chachma is the seminal thought. I want to build a home. Bina is all the details of what kind of home, and all the like, myriads of details in building a home. But das is, everyone try the word das? Das. If you're a Sephardi, you can say dot, that's okay, but otherwise it's das. And that das and dot is the blueprint. That's the final decisions. And so that's called ben, son. So there's av, father, that's chokhmah. Bina's aim, mother. And by the way, abba and ima are Aramaic. That's not Hebrew. Hebrew is av and aim. That's Hebrew. Aramaic is abba and ima. We use them interchangeably. But the actual biblical Torah never uses the word Abba or Ima. The, the Bible itself says Av and Aim, because that's biblical Hebrew. So Chochmah is Av, Bina is Aim or Ima, and Dat is Ben. It gives birth to a blueprint. You get that? Like when you finally decide what you're doing for the day, Moishi, that's Das. That's clarity. Like this is what I'm doing. And then uh, there's only one more thing you can add to that in your own character, and that's commitment. And that's the, commitment is the, I'm not gonna go into that in detail right now, but commitment is the, is the, 
you know, like, there's been a lot of blueprints in the world that did not become buildings because people had not really gotten behind it. You know, people didn't commit. And so, so I'm just adding this as a random side point, is that without commitment, DOS is worthless. So you got to be able to have follow-through, and, and that's, a, that's a big deal. And this is very hard for men today. Follow-through is very difficult for men. And that's why I'm warning this lady here that, that we got newlyweds in the room, by the way. How long are you two married? 22 years? 32. I'm married 23 years. They're married three months, this couple behind you. Three months. Fresh. The, you, the paint's still wet. So, so the, uh, anyway, but women like make a mistake of allowing their husband to be what's called Peter Pan. You ever heard the book Peter Pan? I won't grow up. I'll never be a something, Whatever. I'm never going to grow up. And all millennials, people born after the year 2000, including the, even if you're raised Hasidic, all millennials, the boys don't want to grow up. They just don't want to grow up. They want to be Peter Pan. And, uh, and the universities have enabled this by giving them a fake identity for four or five years that you're someone because you're at our university and then, then charge him four times the amount that it should cost. But he's at, how could he afford it? And the answer is, well, he gets these student loans that are not needing to be paid until after university. You can never go bank, you can't claim bankruptcy against those loans. It is, it is indentured servitude to the state or to the banks. And, and meanwhile, you wake up one day in a world that's expecting you to start making some real serious and difficult choices that you're not prepared at all to make. And so then you enter the bar scene and you, you're now old enough to drink and, uh, and just see if you can squeeze out a few more years of this figment of your imagination character you've created. And it's, um, but it's a tremendous disservice to men these years of Peter Pan never growing up and trying to live in a fantasy land and somehow find Tinkerbell and I'll find Tinkerbell but Tinkerbell doesn't exist she's a fairy fairies disappear as soon as you touch them and so and so she, they wind up single in late 30s no one has any patience for a 30 year old who hasn't figured out what he's all about you know the society has no patience for anyone over 30 like, you, how old are you, Jared? 24. 24, you're on the edge of patience. Like, you, you still got a pretty wide world, but you're going to have to make some sacrifices of the wideness and get good at something. And people will pay you for that. And you'll be a responsible man who's committed to things. And your wife will feel stable. And you will feel like a respectable human being. And it will bring deep meaning to your life. You'll, you'll have context for your existence. But uh, what happens to Peter Pan is he refuses to sacrifice any of the wonder of possibility out there for who he could be. And, but then <laughs> once you hit 30, society's got no time for you. And, and any woman who would marry you isn't worth marrying because she must be out of her mind. Because why would she marry someone who's never, you know, who's Peter Pan, 
Why would she marry a little boy in a tutu? And so our job is to, we have to be, men have to be at a certain age, as young as possible, but certainly if you're hearing this in your late 20s or 30s, and is to, you have to be dead serious. You have to be dead serious about stuff and just slaughter, slaughter everything that's possible and get real about what's actual and get good at something. It doesn't matter what it is. Get good at plumbing, get good at building, get good at math, get good at accounting, get good at, you know, it doesn't matter what you get good at because as long as you're good at it, people will pay you for that and, and you will feel self-respect and your wife will feel safe and your marriage will be good. And the warning to women, like these young single ladies, is don't um, don't let your don't enable Peter Pan when you get married to stay a boy. Don't l enable Peter Pan to stay this kid, but uh, gently help narrow things down to what he'll be good at, and and then let him actually get busy with things. Because it's a nature of a woman, especially post-feminism, ever since the 1950s, the nature of a woman to love the power of being the one who pays the bills and maybe even makes some of them, if not all the money. And, and, uh, and like, it gives you a certain sense of power. You know, that we've lost our traditional values of like the man takes care of the woman. Young women like feel a sense of power that they're paying the electric, they're paying the water, they're paying the, you know, <laughs> they're dealing with the insurance company, they're dealing with everybody. You know, and Peter Pan, meanwhile, is like... And she's kind of enjoying it, but it's a um, recipe for disaster. That is not what you want to be doing. And uh, that's not going to have a good long-term effect on, on marriage or on anybody. And, the, uh, and so, whatever. Uh, I'm done with accountability. <laughs> We're back to our Kabbalah class. I, I'm really teaching a Kabbalah class, but I just gave a very Jordan Peterson-esque uh, uh, discussion on accountability and, and early marriage. Um, you, can, you can always click on Jordan Peterson on YouTube and watch hours and hours of these subjects because he's the number one guy on this topic. world, which is really the, the thorn. You know, the Hebrew letters have thorns on the top in the Torah. The thorn is, is called Keter. It's a crown on the letter. Keter means a crown. And that's Keter, crown. Everyone try the word Keter? Keter. Together, Keter? Keter? Keter means crown. And uh, Ashkenazim say Keser. But they, that's the crown. And think about the crown's not even on the head. It's above the head, the crown. Well, what could be above your head? What could be above your head in creation? And the answer is the desire to create. Like the actual desire to create. Like you had a desire to do something. You didn't know what it was. You didn't know it'd be tourism. I forgot your name. Justin. Justin. Justin, you didn't know it was going to be tourism. But you had desire. There was a there was a fire in your heart. And and that's desire. Nothing happens without desire. I mean, what's the Brooklyn Bridge made of? It's made of desire of people in Brooklyn to get to Manhattan faster. And from Manhattan back home faster. It's made of desire. What are airplanes made of? Desire. desire. People, like, 
Our desire is the, it's the foundation of all discoveries, all invention. There's always desire. No desire, nothing happens. Desire is the key to all reality. And uh, I literally, I mean, the clothing I'm wearing is the desire of designers to make their living with creativity. It's the desire of uh, seamstresses and seamsters who wanted to make their living with their handiwork through sewing. They desire to, f and they desire to feed their families, and desire to use their hands. Everything's made of desire. Your own body, your own skin is made of the desire of your parents for one another. Nothing's made of, everything's made of desire. This building you're in right now, someone desired to have a place of learning where anyone could come. Everything's made of desire. That's it. So that's the thorn above the yud, is desire. Then comes the yud, that's chokhmah, as God's saying, like, you know, I'm, I'm making a world. And then there's the hay, is all the details. Clicking on the yud, you get all the details of a world. But there's still no world. There's still no world. Now we got, you can come in. Now we've got to, now we've got to, God's got to implement a world. Well, that's, I mean, that's kind of a tall order. Imagine being an infinite being that's not at all having anything to do with space or time. It is beyond all existence. There's no physical reality to it whatsoever. It is not bordered or limited by anything. It's inconceivable. You could never, we could never understand anything of what it is. It's the absolute lack of thingness, otherwise known as no thing. It's not a thing. And it wants to create a world? Well, that's kind of a leap. That's kind of a tall, tall uh, order. But here we are. And that is called the Vav. The Vav is, is now the blast of light. Now, it is amazing, back to physics, that physicists say that all matter, all physicality, is made of light energy. All matter is made of light energy. Well, how light energy becomes matter, that's up to anyone's guess. That's where theoretical physicists come in, is they try to figure out how light energy became matter. Now, we have a Kabbalistic tradition of how light energy became matter, and it's called simsum, and that's the vav. The vav is a very limited type of thing that's going to direct things all the way down to the dimensions of our world. That's the final hay, is the dimension of our world. The vav is the path coming down from the spiritual into the physical. That's the vav. So it's taking things from pure spiritual and then implementing them into physicality. Now in our lives that shows up for sure. For example, um, I don't know if you were busy implementing your own stuff, but did you have people working for you? Um, no, I worked you're, for a, a group of guys from France. Okay, fine. So you're more of their implementer. <laughs> Very good. So I would just tell anyone here that anyone who's a Yud or a Hay personality, you probably get nothing done without a personality of an implementer. There are different types of people. God set up the world to have these different types. Shalom Aleichem. There's a spot right there for you. Hey, hey, hey. What's up? Uh, you can sit next to this guy here. And uh, you want to move over one? Uh, Jared, come on in. 
Anyway, um, these are personalities. Think about it. Your personality. What's a your personality? Someone tell me what's a your personality. Name one kind of your personality. CEO. Okay, CEO might be a your personality. It could be. Creative, okay. Founder of like a cause. He's not a doer. He's definitely not a doer. He's a belly button starer. What's that? Founder of a cause. Founder of a cause. An inventor. An inventor, someone who just comes up with great ideas. That's a good personality. He's a dreamer. He's a visionary. Those are all good personalities. Those are Hotma personalities. And then there's hey personality. Tell me, what kind of person would be a hey personality? Yeah, probably more of a CEO would be a hey personality. Planners, good. Business consultants. Business consultants. Like, I, I speak to a lot of business consultants for my business because I just wouldn't know how to do that stuff, so I speak to hey personalities. They take my seminal yud, my ideas, and then they implant them in their, in their bina brain, which, is, which fleshes out my idea. And they think about it. They say, well, gee, how can we market that? Mm, nah, it'll cost too much to produce to how much people would pay to get by it. So scratch that. Or, you know what? I think I know a way we could produce that. That would make sense for the, for the final consumer, which is obviously the hey. Now, what are Vob personalities? What's a Vob personality? Yeah, those are the doers. Those are the guy. That's the guy on the ground. Because a yud, no one's left their office. A hey, no one's left their office. But a vav would be a plant manager. Is a vav. It's a very specific kind of vav personality. But all the people working are part of the vav. The the UPS truck, you know, driving its way to Borough Park, is part of the vav. You know, he's got to deliver the stuff. And the they're all these positions, and they're the majority of people who work, are all part of a vav. They're part of an assembly line. And the vav delivers the spiritual to the physical, or delivers the idea down to, down to the physical world. Now, I just want to give you all something really important to know, is that if you're a yud or a hey personality, raise your hand, any yud personality, any visionaries here? Okay, I got it. Amazing. That's so funny. The three people I would have said were yuds raised their hand. It was just really cool. So you guys should talk, although you won't get anything done. Um, okay. Any hey personalities? Anyone hey here who like can just dissect something, dissect a problem like nobody's business? Okay, we got two hey's. You're a hey. Okay, we got you're a hey. Okay, we got three hey's. Raise your hand if you just like just tell me what to do, I'll get it done. Type personalities like just. The doers, okay, and, that, and like it was, it was double the number. We had three hoods, we had three A's, and we had about seven Vavs, who were like, just get the job done. And th those are Vav personalities, and they're, they're amazing, amazing and important people. But here's my hint. I wanted to give everyone a little business advice for anyone who's a Yud or a hey, and that is that you hire a Vav. Hire a Vav. So like Tamir could tell me. How old are you, Tamir? He's 22. You have any money to hire above? No, you have any right now, enough money to hire above? Let's say he wants two grand a month. So that's going to cost 
What is it? Whatever. That's going to cost 24, 24 grand a year. You got 24 grand a year for somebody? You don't have that. I mean, it all goes to university. Yeah, he's in university. It all goes to university. So, the scoundrels. So, anyway. So, but you have an extra 24 grand around for, for a vote? So, let me tell you something. There was a great Yud personality. His name was Van Gogh. He was an artist who uh, was considered one of the great artists in history. Guess when he sold his first painting. By the way, how much do you think a Van Gogh costs today to buy a Van Gogh? What's that? 3.2 million for one. Oh, yeah, yeah. The stuff he made when he was a child are like $3.2 million. But like a real serious Van Gogh, like one of the famous ones, is probably, you know, $100 million or something like that. Guess how old, guess what year of his life he actually, you know, he sold. Guess what year of his life he sold his first painting? 68. <laughs> I don't actually know how old he was. It was his last year of his life. And this is the famous fate of Yud and Hay personalities. Yud and Hay personalities generally get nothing done. Oh, is it after four? No way, seriously? No, you're good, you're good. Everyone, shalom, everyone, have a great day. That's the end of our class. I, normally he warns me at four. I thought he was coming to warn me at four. Um, Rabbi Nekomar deals with all of the most craziest questions you could ever have. Stuff that, like, you can't even record. Because it's questions about like insane stuff that no one thinks a rabbi should be even hearing, and he answers those questions, and it's quite an interesting hour. Please stay tuned. If you need a bathroom, grab it quick. Otherwise, Rabbi Nickerman is going to get started in a minute. Anyone who has anything they want to say to me will have to do so outside that door. Shalom, everyone. Thank you. And by the way, first we're going to have I'm going to take the seven questions, and then we're going to have a conversation. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.